and turn with me to John 15. We're going to look at those last verses of John 15 and then into chapter 16 and verse 4. We'll pick up there, Lord willing, after the first of the year, because when I come back, we're going to uh, be looking at some passages pertaining to the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ for a few Sundays in December. But we'll pick up there in 16, verse 5, after the first of the year. Let's follow along as I read out loud God's word. I'm reading tonight from the New American Standard uh, the 1995 edition, uh, simply because uh, on several points in this passage, uh, they have rendered uh, it uh, it more more easy to understand than the ESV. I'll give you an example before I even start reading. In verse 1 of chapter 16, these things I've spoken to you so that you may be kept from The SV translates it falling away, and that's rather misleading. It's scandalon. It's scandalized, which means may cause you to stumble. Stumbling and falling away are two very different things. And so uh, that's one of the reasons I chose tonight to read from the New American Standard. So if you note the differences, you'll understand. God's inerrant, infallible word, follow along. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that's written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the helper comes... Whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I've spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. 
grass withers and flower fades. God's word lasts forever. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. And we ask now that you bless the reading, the hearing, the preaching, that we would leave this place more like Jesus. And this we ask in his name. Amen. Sometimes Christians suffer in this world. And you would say, well, of course they do. I mean, we know people right now who are suffering. Christians in this church. Our dear brother Tom Matthews and Juanita sat right over here this morning, suffering greatly with cancer. We have lost church members in recent years to that dreaded disease, Alzheimer's, and all the attending problems that come with it. But that's not the kind of suffering that I'm alluding to, and that's not the kind of suffering that the Lord is talking about here in this text, is it? People get cancer not because they're a Christian. On the other hand, people get cancer not because they're unbelievers either. But the kind of suffering that the Lord's talking about is specifically linked to you and me and others throughout the history of the church declaring themselves as Christians and living as Christians. We could give testimony after testimony of saints that have suffered. I could also tell you about saints who suffered not because of their testimony, not because of their, their being a Christian, but because they were obnoxious. I mean, you go back in the third century after Christ was on this earth and after the uh, fourth century, actually, um, but leading up even to the, uh, the fourth century, uh, as things began to simmer down and persecution was not as common in the Roman Empire and persecution had become such a badge of honor for Christians that once it was not common, they would just go out and force the issue with Roman sentries, with Roman army members coming through town. They would throw themselves in front of them just to be persecuted, trying to obstruct their, their, their travels. Not because... So the, the soldiers weren't coming after them because of who they were as Christians. They're running out and throwing themselves in their feet. They're obstructing justice. Well, that's not what the Lord's talking about here. Remember what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. If people persecute you for my name's sake. And that's what he's talking about right here. We have that kind of suffering today. Some places more, more so than in other places. And sometimes in some places it's unto death as Jesus gets to right here in verse 2. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, from your gathering place. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you. Notice some of them died. Well, that's happening. You can read of it. There are Christians in the Sudan dying, most likely right this moment, because they're Christians and they're, they've tried to meet to worship. 
It's probably going on in Asia in some locality that we may never, ever know of or hear of. But then there are those, what we might say, lesser degrees of persecution. Not to the point of being beaten or certainly not being beaten to death or, or, or killed like the Marian martyrs were. Burned to death in fires. But lesser degree persecutions. For instance, you say, look, my job is not a job of mercy or necessity. So I want a schedule that doesn't make me work on Sunday, the Lord's Day. And your employer says, no, working on Sunday or you're fired. Well, you're not in the medical profession. Profession, You're not in, in any sort of profession that is of necessity or mercy for the, the carrying on of, of people's lives. They fire you. Well, you're suffering for Christ's namesake. You're obeying God. That's just one example. The passage here before us reminds us, as I said already, exactly what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. But in this passage, the emphasis is really on the on the the highlight at the, the peak. Did you notice? He's just very matter of fact. If they hated you, they're gonna if they hate me, they're gonna hate you. If they hate you, it's because they hated me. It's because I pointed out their sin, you're gonna point out their sin. They're gonna hate you because I pointed out their sin and because you point out their sin. And then he says, when the helper comes. And that's where he was headed the whole time. Because remember, that's where he started all this. Back in chapter 14. Was with, I'm going to send another one. I'm going to ask the father and he's going to send the helper to you. And here we are, we're coming as it were, full circle in this particular literary unit right here. Back to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit. Apparently, Jesus seemed to think, and infallibly so, that the Holy Spirit would be all we need to endure in this evil age. Silly Jesus. That the Holy Spirit, we can't even see the Holy Spirit. We can see his work. Pastor Morris has preached about that recently. We can see where the wind blows. We can see the effects of the wind blowing. We can't see the wind. We can hear the effects of the wind today. Blowing through our hollow out in Birchville, the the remaining leaves and even the trees were making this howling sound. It wasn't the wind howling. We say that sometimes, don't we? Oh, listen to the wind howl. No, it was the effect of the wind through the trees. We can see the work of the helper, even though we can't see the helper. And that's where Jesus leaves us. I was thinking as we read Psalm 35, and then even as we sang from 
Psalm 46 of a little piece that Carl Truman wrote many years ago now for Thamelios and then was republished in his little book, Wages of Spin. He, he wrote this, What Can Miserable Christians Sing? And it was about how important singing the Psalms is. One of the things he says in there is, you know, if you come into church on Sunday and all you sing are praise the Lord and hallelujah and gimme, 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 Jesus, gimme, and you go out and on Monday everything goes pretty good, but then by Wednesday, man, they're just hitting you in the jaw. They're slapping you. The profanity, the sin in the back rooms, the unethical dealings. And you're not prepared for it because I thought it was going to be a bed of roses this week. That's what we sang on Sunday. So Truman argues that as we do here, there's a good and useful place for singing psalms. But, and even, even the imprecatory psalms, even the dirges need to be sung. None of you... But in the past, I've had people, and maybe some of our elders have had people say, boy, you know, I wish we could sing some happy songs. Those psalms, some of those psalms are kind of, whew. Hey, that's real life, folks. This is real life, verses 18 and following. Christians, real Christians, will really be persecuted. Some of you students will face this in the papers you write, particularly in university. When you stand against and you write papers that offer an alternative to the theories that are offered by your biology professor, for instance. And the professor with integrity may not grade you down for your differing opinions and your different worldview, but some of them will. Every one of us have heard, I'm sure, the stories of the students who have been failed because you didn't mimic back to me what I said in class. Even though what he said in class or she said in class may have not had any grounding in science, it was purely their theory, and yet the students suffered. Now, that's what Jesus is getting at here. So first, let's look at the world in which we live. That's really what Jesus is painting for us here. This is the world that Christians go into. It's not a pretty place. Isn't it strange that Christians, you know, the billboards, don't you get sick of church billboards? Aren't you glad we don't have one lit up and flashing? And, and they're saying something like, you know, you know, find peace inside. You know, find joy inside. Be happy inside. Well, that's wonderful. And, and you all know that you find the peace of the Lord in this place. And you find the joy of his salvation in this place. But the suggestion on those signs is often... That if you know Jesus, you know everything. And if you have Jesus, you'll have everything. 
right? I mean, be a Christian, everything's easy. Everything's hunky-dory. Why? And then they misuse verses like, For greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So it's like the Holy Spirit's going to go out there and just slay everybody in your path so it's just easy during the week. Jesus says that's not the case. He says the real world, the world in which you're going to live, is a world that hates you. Jesus never read Dale Carnegie or Norman Vincent Peale or Robert Schuller. And aren't you glad? Because they're not real. This is reality television right here. This is reality Christianity. The world hates you. And by the way, it's since the world hates you. You know that it hated me before it hated you. The world in which we live is one of darkness. That's the first thing I want you to notice. The world here is a reference to the world system. We've talked about this before. This morning we read in John 3.16, For God so loved the world. There he's talking about the whole, whole created cosmos. He's not talking about, For God so loved the world system that's antichrist. He's talking about the cosmos, the created order, all of creation. Which I'll remind you back in Genesis chapter 1, for those who believe the Bible, he created it and it was good. And it was very good. In the space of six days, he created it. By the power of his word, the word of his power, it was all good and very good. By the way, ex cursus. We do not believe that the world is running down and going to blow up or explode or burn up. We believe it's running toward the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation chapter 21 and 22. This world that we're talking about here, what is it that hates us? Well, it's not the dirt. It's not the trees. It's not, it's not the shrubs. It's not the beautiful flowers that hate us. It's the world system. That's the reason I say we're talking here about darkness because this is reference to the world system. It's a, it's a kingdom that's distinct from the kingdom of God, a kingdom that's distinct from the church. In, in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, Paul refers to it as a dominion of darkness. And he says we've been transferred, translated from that dominion of darkness into the dominion of his own son, the dominion of light. The stark contrast in how he says, okay, here we've got, the, we've got the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And guess what? The darkness doesn't like you. In fact, the darkness hates you. And then he, he, he says there are a number of reasons that it hates us. But before we get to that, let's unpack this hated thing a little bit. If you... If you if you had the time, you want to look up that little Greek word, it has, it's a very pregnant little word. It carries with it the idea of um, disfavor. So when Jesus says the world hates you, the world will find disfavor with you. They will act towards you in a manner of disfavor. And you can imagine how. There may have been some of you in this room tonight 
that because of your, your Christian position on certain things in your workplace, you were passed over for promotions. They may have not fired you because they didn't want to get in trouble, but they just didn't give you pay increases. They just didn't give you ad- advancement in promotions. You were disfavored. Another meaning is disregard. We'll keep hitting the workplace for a moment. You know, you're sitting around the table, you're brainstorming, you have these good ideas. Your ideas may may end up being implemented, but you don't get credit for it. And you don't get the promotion for it or the pay increase for it. Because you were disregarded because of your Christian views. It can also carry the idea of detesting. We're detested by the world. The world system detests Christians. Why? Because we spoil the fun. We don't play along. We don't promote their agendas. See, Romans 1 tells us that the dark world likes darkness and will even commend darkness. Now what Paul's saying there is, on the other side of the coin is, they don't commend light. They don't commend holiness. They don't commend righteousness. In fact, they make mockery of it. I don't know if any of you ever stay up and watch late night shows, the talk shows. I'm not talking about Perry Mason from the 1950s. I'm talking about the, you know, the live today talk shows with people who think they're funny and they're not. And the number of times, I do sometimes. And you, you would do well to do it as well. And the number of times that their whole monologue is directed toward good and godly and holy and righteous things is astounding how often it is the case. And they may not say, those silly Christians. But when you read between the lines of the things that they're making fun of, the things they're mocking, the things that they just can't understand that's just so silly they're christian mores they're judeo-christian ethical norms so if you don't think people hate christians you're just not paying attention and by the way if you're not the reciprocal of it maybe maybe And you say, but they don't know I'm a Christian. Well, well. How could that be? Isn't it amazing? In Antioch, the first place we read in the Bible where they call them Christians. And when you read that passage, it's it's not because the Christians had a sign up. First Christian church. First Presbyterian church. It was the way they lived and moved and had their being. Those people were different. 
The government was persecuting Christians in the latter part of that first century into the second and third century because of the things they did at church. Now, how did they know what they were doing at church? They said they committed incest. They accused them of being incestuous people. Why? Well, because they called one another brothers and sisters. And because young men were marrying their sisters in Christ. Not their biological sisters. They were calling them brothers and sisters. Oh, and they had this feast, this meal that they eat. And they eat the body of Christ and they drink the blood of Christ. Who are these people? These flesh eaters. Well, they weren't in the church with them. They were hearing the Christians talk about it. Talk about the Lord's Supper out in the public square. Talking about their brothers and sisters in faith. And so they were persecuted. They went through a period in the early church when they couldn't even have buildings or property because they were Christians. And you don't have to have property in a building to be Christians and have a church. But it helps. It's easier to have a specified place of worship that will accommodate numbers. But that was part of the persecution that went in the early church. So this hatred idea here, the world hates you, carries all of that with it. They discredit, they disfavor, they disregard, they detest. And as we've already seen in chapter 16, verse 2, I pointed out to you, that hatred can even carry the idea of murder, killing, unjust killing, because they were Christians. That's the world in which we live. Second, the reason for the world as we know it. I'm going to go through these more quickly. The reason the kingdom of darkness hates us is clearly explained by the Lord. What does he say there in verse 19? If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, the world hates you. We're not of the same world system. We're not of the same worldview. We're not of the same morals and ethics as the world. We are, as the old authorized version said, we're a peculiar people. We're a people that are different. We're possessed by God. So we're not of this world. We're distinct. Because you're not of this world, therefore the world hates you, the Lord said. And then he goes on, he says, remember the word I said to you. He says, there's precedence, by the way, for this. Here's the precedence. A slave's not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If, if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. He said, so the world persecuted me. Don't expect them to treat you differently. Peter and Paul both... Pick up on this and speak of it. 
as sharing in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. We share in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was hated, so we'll be hated. That's part of what Peter's talking about. In fact, let me just turn there and in 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Wow. In the degree, notice there are degrees of suffering. But in the degree that you suffer, you share in the sufferings of Christ, we're to rejoice. Now that's the tough part, isn't it? Rejoice that I got fired because of my Christian faith. Now be sure it's because of your Christian faith, not because you're a, a pathetic, lazy employee. Be sure it's because of your faith and not because you're just obnoxious. I didn't get the pay raise, and I know they used my ideas. I didn't get the advancement, and I know what it's about. It's because the new management is all about hiring LGBTQs, and he can't advance me until he advances them. So in the degree to which you're persecuted, rejoice. Hey, here's the deal. You go out of the meeting... And you didn't get the rage. You go out of the meeting. You go down the street. And your neighbors don't like you. Because they know that you stand for sanctity of life. Rejoice. Guess why? Because you're in good company. The cloud of witnesses is filled with those with blood-stained robes. And more than that, our Savior Jesus suffered. For righteousness sake. For the sanctity of life. For marriage God's way. For having morals that are yes and no. So we're, we're in a world that hates us. Why? Because we're not of the world. But another reason that we're told is because I chose you out of the world. That's why we're not in the world. It's because he chose us out of the world, verse 19 says. We've been chosen by God. And people don't like that. You know, there are even some, some Christians who get a, a, little, a little gnarly about the idea that God would choose some people and not others. Everybody wants to be able to choose their own doctors. Everybody wants to be able to choose their own spouse, but nobody wants God to be able to choose his own people. Have you ever thought about that? How hypocritical that is? We want to be sovereign, but we don't want God to be sovereign. And he says one of the reasons the world's going to hate you, detest you, disfavor you, discredit you, is because I chose you. In other words, because I loved you. I set my affections on you. 
Another reason is because Jesus goes on to say, I came and I spoke to them and I pointed out their sin to them. Have you ever noticed how people, they don't like that. Some people just don't like that. You point their sin out to them. I mean, hey, happens among Christians sometimes even, doesn't it? Happens in churches. Pulling out a sin. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. In other words, and I think the SV here fleshes out, adds some wording. They wouldn't have known about their sin. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't have had the guiltiness of their sin. And that's part of our job is to speak the truth in love and not let people just go on in their sin. That's not loving them. That's hating them if you just let your friends go on in their sin. So we point out their sin, but they may not respond well to that. And here Jesus is preparing it for us. They also, another reason they are the way they are is they've not known the Father nor Jesus. Verse 3 says, these things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. In other words, Jesus is saying, it shouldn't surprise us when they act this way. Because they don't know me. If they don't know me, they're not going to know you. In other words, they're not going to recognize you because they don't recognize Christ. Well, how are we supposed to stand against that? Well, we're supposed to do it with faithful, exemplary, and what I would call expository living. In the face of this evil generation. In other words, just live the Christian life. Don't be ashamed. Don't be reserved. Don't be timid. Don't be obnoxious again. But certainly do not stand back. Well, how can you do that? Because that's not easy. Well, that's where Jesus is going, isn't it? Verse 26 in verse 25, he says, they've done all this. It's, they hated me without a cause. They're going to hate you without a cause. None of this is, is, is rational, but then sin doesn't breed rationality. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you've been with me from the beginning. Remember way back several weeks ago talked about this helper this title the helper and one of the meanings of it is he's our aid he's our legal aid he's our legal advocate and here Jesus is saying here's how you're going to stand in this present evil age in this dark world the Holy Spirit's going to be there and he's going to be your buttress. He's going to be the pillar. He's going to be the support. He's going to be the one that's upholding you. And by the way, he's going to be speaking for you. <clears throat> he's going to testify. He's going to testify on your behalf because you've been with me from the beginning. Hmm. Notice what he says, these things I've spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. He doesn't want the, 
that all the problems the world may bring against us to cause us to stumble. He wants those to simply increase our faith. He wants all the assaults of the world to be something that builds us up and assures us that we're his and he's ours. And the Holy Spirit's given for that purpose. What does Paul tell us in Romans chapter 8? That the Holy Spirit, one of the things the Holy Spirit's going to do is he's going to testify to our spirits that we are his children. And when is he going to do that loudest? And I don't mean audibly loud, but spiritually loudest. When's he going to do that? If not in the context of opposition from the world. When we're saying, you know, Lord, the psalmist said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. And here I am. I feel forsaken. And if I lose this job, I may be begging for bread. I mean, when, if not then, will the Holy Spirit not say, uh, you're mine. You belong to the Father. You're a co-heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says that's what's going to happen. He's going to keep you from stumbling. Notice the certainty. <clears throat> this, this is in the, in the sense that, he, that he's going to, he, all these things have been spoken to you so that you may be kept from being caused to stumble. In other words, they're going to try to make you stumble. Young folks, listen. There are going to be people out there that try, particularly when they find out you're a Christian. They're going to try to make you stumble. So they can laugh at you and point the finger at you and say, see, we told you. Just like we read about in Psalm 35. Aha, see there? You did it. Mr. Goody Goody Two Shoes. Miss Goody Goody Two Shoes. Look at you now. Mr. Christian, you're just like us. The Holy Spirit's at work in our lives to keep that from happening. That's remarkable, isn't it? I knew this young girl once. She was becoming, turning into her teen years. And someone had said in hearing that she was soon to turn 13, oh boy. Now that you're a teenager, you're really going to be a problem for your parents. And this teenage girl said to her father, do they not understand that if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit's at work in your life, you don't have to live like every other teenager. You don't have to do all the stuff those teenagers do, that they seem to think everybody has to do it because they're a teenager. And all teenagers do it. That young lady was right. For greater is he that is in us than the one who's in the world. You don't have to stumble. They'll try to cause you to stumble. But they can't make you stumble and you don't have to stumble. There's two, two buttresses here really. One is the Holy Spirit. But did you notice the emphasis here? These things I've spoken to you. We keep going back to the word of God, y'all. Jesus says, I won't leave you as an orphan. I'll be with you. 
And what, how's he going to be with us when he's going back to the, to the heavens and back to the right hand of the Father? I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the helper. And so we look back and we say, God is trustworthy. His word is sure. It is true. He never fails. That's the objective side of it. The, the subjective side of it is the Holy Spirit who's given. Again, Jesus says in verse 4, but these things I've spoken to you so that when their hour comes, that is, when these people who are going to oppose you, when they rise up, you will remember I've told you. I've told you about them. See, God's warning us. We don't go into this world naive. We go into this world fully aware that it's full of our enemies. But the Holy Spirit is there at our side at every moment reminding us what has been said, who said it, and how trustworthy it is. And when we start to stumble, guess who's there to grab us? The Spirit of the living God. You didn't catch yourself. He caught you. And straightened you up, dusted you off, that dust on your knees and put us back on the path, guiding us all the way. That's our, that's our hope. Not this world, but the spirit of the living God. When opposition arises, when jobs are affected, when grades are affected, when children turn against you parents, parents against children... The Word and the Spirit are our help. And it's all we need. He's all we need. Let's rejoice. Thank you, Father, for your Word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.